Branding Badass, and welcome to Season 2 of Branding Matters. My guest today is Jane Cunningham, the co-author of a book called Brandsplaining, Why Marketing is Still Sexist and How to Fix It. Jane is also the co-founder of PLH, the UK's leading market research agency specializing in female audiences. I invited Jane to be a guest on my show to discuss why brands need to start understanding women's motivations and decision-making in order to truly be successful. I wanted to learn how she and her business partner, Philippa, are attempting to right the wrong that is still going on in branding today. And I was curious to hear the story behind the name Brandsplaining. Jane, I'm so thrilled to have you with us here today. Welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you so much. It's great to be here and lovely to see you again, Jodie. Oh, it's lovely to see you too. I'm so impressed with what you're doing and about your book and I want to talk about all of it. You know, it's interesting when I'm researching guests for my podcast and a lot of people that are in the ad world, especially the leaders, whether they're owners or creative directors, they're all men. Most, yeah. A lot of them are. I've had a couple of women on and yourself included, but it's mostly male dominated. So do you think that that affects how brands are going to market? I mean, we're going to talk about your book and brand explaining, but do you think that might have a reason for why there is that imbalance in the way brands for Sure, work? yeah, definitely. I mean, I believe in the US only about 11% of creative directors are women and it's higher here in the UK, 35%, but still male dominated. And of course, at the same time, you have most CEOs are still men, the men leading kind of businesses and particularly big businesses. So even if you do have a female marketing director, and there are now quite a lot of female marketing directors, she's quite often stuck between the male lens of the creative director and the male lens of the the CEO struggling to help them understand what it is that women really want. And that's the problem in a nutshell, really, that women struggle to get heard and struggle to get understood because we're all sort of so used to culture shaping women to please others rather than culture sort of setting out to understand what it is that women want for themselves, how it is they would like their lives to be from their perspective. And invariably that therefore limits brands' ability to connect with them. If it's all produced through the male lens, the lens that tells women what they should be because that's helpful or pleasing to men, then what an opportunity for brands that take the alternative perspective and choose to present and project from a female perspective. So I think we would say that that's a really big and important part of moving marketing and brands on in terms of their relationship with women is ensuring that there is at least equal representation of women and particularly in those crucial creative roles which is where the ideas come from mm-hmm. interesting when you would get accounts to work on was it divided up like whenever there was an account let's say for i don't know some kind of woman product whether it's perfume or makeup or nylons were women automatically assigned to those accounts and men that were assigned to like the alcohol and the cars and was definitely there- that definitely was the case when we were working in advertising i think it probably has improved a bit now in terms of the account teams But it is still the case that once you get to the creative process, it is male dominated. But we were certainly always assigned the sort of, you know, the the tampons, the yeah, feminine hygiene products, household products. Were you a fan of Mad Men? Did you watch it there? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, it, you know, it just reminded me as we're talking about, you know, Peggy Olson would get like the pantyhose accounts, right? Yes. It just made me think of it when we were talking. So, yeah, well, that definitely resonated for us, even watching Mad Men, which should have been wildly out of date by the time we watched it. But of course, it wasn't. Of course not. I know. Isn't that funny how that is? Yeah. 
Yeah, crazy. So let's talk about, you know, we're talking about men and women. And right now we're living in a time where there's a lot of blurred lines and gender definitions really have changed a lot, right? Now it's they, I have two teenage children. When they talk about their friends, they don't say he or she, they say them, right? Yeah. There's always this blurred definition. So do you feel that brands are keeping up with that? And how do you think they've changed as the terminology and the vernacular has changed? I think brands struggle like lots of people do to understand where people are at in terms of gender blurring. And it's very early days. Certainly the younger women that we speak with are in the main dedicated to the idea that gender is a construct and that it can be and generally is a very limiting set of ideas in particular for women. However, how that gets played out in terms of what women buy and what men buy is yet to really come to fruition. I mean, there are gender neutral brands, particularly in clothing and to an extent in beauty, but in clothing in particular, it's pretty notable that most of the stuff that is called gender neutral or ungendered is actually male clothing. There's very little about it that you would associate with female clothing. What is true to say, despite the fact that it is pretty nascent in marketing, is that all audiences of women, young, old, um, midlife, they're all conscious and much more outspoken than ever about marketing that diminishes them in both the sort of overt ways and in the in the sneakily sexist ways. So social media has given them an opportunity to voice this because, of course, it disintermediates the male editor, which has been so dominant over the last however many hundreds of years. So that is certainly something that women are, are much more outspoken about. Gender blurring for us and in terms of the research we do feels like something which is much more commonly understood and taken on board by the younger audience. The older audience still tend to be pretty bewildered by the whole thing. Oh, yeah. You have children too, right? You How old are your I kids? have two. Yeah, I have a 15-year-old boy and I have a 12-year-old girl. Okay, so similar. So are they very much in tune with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know, there are bear traps everywhere. And you know, I love that. I love the fact that they're, you know, they're so conscious on other people's behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what they have is a genuine understanding of just how important language is, which is one of the things that I think has been an important part of the work that we do is trying to help the marketing people understand that there is a lot in the minutiae, in the little details of what gets played out in marketing, which is unhelpful or diminishing or limiting. And I think that's something the younger generation have really taken on board, that language is vital. It is really important and it does have impact and it can be very harmful and that you need to be careful what you say. You know, it's a great thing. It's a great development. Yeah. Even if it does mean I get into hot water. You know? Oh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> um, no, it's funny. I want to back up for a second. You talked about clothing. I work in the clothing world, right? I sell yeah. clothes to my customers. And I've been doing this for 20 years. And when we started, most styles were unisex, right? That's what we called it. We called it yeah. unisex men you know hoodies or jackets or whatever and there was a huge demand from our clients where they wanted men's and ladies styles because what they used to do is they would take a men's let's say a golf shirt i sell a million golf shirts and they would take the men's and they would get an extra small but it still didn't fit right so there was a lot of demand for women's styles so it took many years and now here i am over 20 years later everything comes in men's and ladies styles right ladies cut and men's cut and it's great well now you talked about that and i I read an article recently where now there's a demand for non-gender specific clothing again. And, yeah. and I'm kind of going, well, wait a minute. I was there and there was a complaint because, and we call it unisex and now they want it non-gender specific. So it's like, I'm not sure 
where that's going. And I'm curious to know your take on that. Well, I suppose one of the issues that constantly arises when it comes to things being non-gendered is that quite often what that means is male. The default thing is, well, therefore it's male. So like you described, the shirt is default male. Yeah. And then the extra small is supposed to be for women, but it's not actually. But it's boxy. Exactly. So yeah. provided within this sort of unisex gender neutral model, there is room for a diverse shape whether that is female shape or male shape or big or small or whatever it is, then, binary, then whatever, yeah, right? whatever it is, yeah. then that's okay, isn't it? But the issue for us, I think, is that so often, and that wonderful book, Invisible Women, which you may or may not have read, which is a brilliant book, which demonstrates how the whole of our economy, of our science, of our medicine is really based on understanding men and what it is that they want and need and giving them what they want to need and then doing a sort of pale version for women, that that's the sort of mode and the model that gets adopted. So I think that's what I think, yeah, is that quite often it's just an excuse for making something right for men and then not doing anything for women. And if that's the case, then obviously that's profoundly unhelpful for women. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about your book, Brandsplaining. I love the name. What inspired you to write this book and how did you come up with the name? Well, the name, you'll know mansplaining, presumably the term mansplaining, which comes from that wonderful essay, Men Explain Things to Me which is where the author discusses the drinks party that she goes to. And she'd written this incredibly sort of erudite book. And she'd actually written many books, but she turned up to this drinks party at which this man proceeded to describe her own book at her. So somebody said, you know, you should read it. And he said, oh, yes, I've just read this wonderful book and started to tell her all about her own book. And she kept trying to interject, saying, that's my book. I wrote that. And he ignored her. And eventually he sort of heard her. He mansplained her own book to her base. And we, we really love that story because for us, it really helps sort of encapsulate what we feel is at the heart of the problem in marketing still, which is that brands continue to assume that they are in charge of the relationship with their female customers in the same way he assumed that he could explain to this woman her own book. That's why we called it brandsplaining really was to try and sort of sum up what we think is the is wrong with the nature of the relationship that brands and brand owners assume they have with their female customers. That's interesting. I love that. Can you give an example of how a brand would be in charge of a woman? Well, we talk about the culture generally seems to be in the business of telling women how to be and what they should be. And so for little girls, that means being soft and being affectionate and being good with animals and caring. Um, For young women, it's about being very focused on your appearance and ensuring that you're sexy and alluring to men. For women with children, it's about being the perfect mom. And then for older women, it's about disappearing because you're no longer needed. You're sort of redundant, I guess, as far as the male lens is concerned. And so the ways in which marketing sort of crystallized those ideals is that you see it in toy marketing, where babies and animals and soft colors like pastels are used um, to target little girls where the sort of plethora of makeup and hair care and beauty brands targeting women and even greater quantities in terms of what young women are consuming, telling young women how they look is what matters. And then, of course, there's the perfect mom ideal. That's my dog. That's okay. That's okay. on the background. Yes, hey. so sorry. I, you know what? It's okay. I've had many dogs and kids <laughs> in on my podcast. It's funny. So this is real life, right? I've got a puppy, a new puppy and an old dog. 
And oh. so the old dog is trying to teach the new puppy a few <laughs> lessons. Oh, that's funny. Well, it's all good not to worry. You know, it's funny. You talk about makeup to girls. And so back to children for a second. My son, I don't know if you know this. He's a drag queen. He does drag. That's oh, really? Okay, yeah. cool. So, yeah. I mean, he, you know, makeup is a big thing for him. And, and it's interesting because he's shown me, like, uh, especially, like, on Instagram, and you're seeing men wearing makeup now, brands that yeah. are sort of targeting more men. So are you seeing that shift or or do you still think we have so such a long way to go? I think it's still pretty at the beginning of its journey. I mean, I think there are some brands which have done really great things, obviously, over the last 10 years, which is part of the reason for writing the book now, I guess, is that there do seem to be brands that are really trying to do things differently. And it started, I guess, with Dove. And then you have brands like Always from Procter doing a really brilliant job, you know, trying to sort of deconstruct ideas of shame around menstruation and obviously shame about being like a girl. So all of that stuff is genuine progress. And there are lots of beauty brands which feature, as you say, men as well as women, and just assume that men are wearing makeup in the same way that women are are wearing makeup, and they don't make a big deal out of it. But we would say there are still too many brands who are in their effort to appear femme-powering or feminist or using feminism as a sort of method for selling are really just doing the same thing as the brands used to do in the past, which instead of saying be thin, they're saying be brave. Instead of saying be pretty, they're saying be the boss. It's all the same stuff, which is you're not good enough, change yourself, be better, lean in. You know, you're just not good enough as you are. And that for us is really problematic. And of course, there's still a lot of the old kind of reconstructed stuff out there as well. So you still have lots of brands out there telling women to be thinner, be blonder, be whiter. And you still have particularly through the unregulated channels like social media, highly sexualized representations of young women and often very young women, which is an actual regressive step in social media. Like feminism generally, it comes in waves, doesn't it? And it can often be two steps forward, one step back. Some of the developments like social media have been brilliant in one way, but they've also been terrible in another way. Yeah. Especially what you said about younger generation, I think you're absolutely right. You know, the name escapes me right now, but there was that brilliant movie that came out and I know it was very controversial. A lot of people talked about, do you know the one I'm talking about where they had those young kids in France, these young, this, and it was this young girl specifically, and she wanted to be a part of this girl group, and it was very sexualized. Do you oh, remember that? Yeah, 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 so yeah, much, yeah. There was so much about it. Yeah. All over the media, people were like complaining and quitting Netflix, which is kind of interesting because I watched the movie and it was a commentary on that exact thing, and it actually was saying how bad it is and how oh. younger girls these 12 year olds are being sexualized younger and younger yeah. and social media has a big impact on it do you know the and movie it is, yeah about? and it is I do know the movie you're talking about it's one of those terrible dilemmas isn't it you know because you say to a young woman who is in her words if I want to go around in a highly sexualized manner behaving however it's I want choice. then that's my choice but it's not really a choice you know because it's part of this superstructure isn't it which says and which has been telling girls and women for years and years that in order to secure a approval and patronage you have to be sexy and alluring to men and that that's the way to achieve security and in particular I guess in a more traditional context achieve marriage and children that that's sort of deeply embedded in our culture and quite often girls without understanding that sort of superstructure and without understanding that big and broad context 
can justifiably say, well, I'm just doing what I want. Why can't I do what I want? We were discussing Billie Eilish, you know, her Vogue cover. And I'm sure Billie Eilish is doing this in an incredibly sort of knowing way. But at the end of the day, for women who have been sort of battling not to be imprisoned by these sort of perfectionist narratives, to see somebody, a young person who is so amazingly sort of confident and has been so good at seeing off the pressure to be, you know, this sort of younger Britney Spears, it feels sad. It does feel like a regressive step somehow, not necessarily for her as an individual, but generally just does feel sad. You know, you think, well, that's a shame that that's the direction that's been decided on. Yeah, it's interesting, eh? The pressure and you wonder where it's coming from. And talking about your book, what are some of the principles of your book? The book is in three parts. So the first part is about where marketing has come from, which talks about those sort of deeply embedded cultural norms, which suggest that women need to be a particular way in order to succeed in life. And the second part of the book is really a sort of data-led analysis of where we are now. So we did a big study of 14,000 women across the world. We did a really big content analysis of ads in the US, the UK, and in Australia. And what all of that suggests is that, yes, things have changed. We have moved on, but we haven't moved on enough. And then we set out some principles in the third part of the book, which take us to what we hope would be a better place and a place where, you know, marketing can be genuinely sexism free. We talk about brands like Bumble going into the dating app market, which felt very predatory, very undermining for women and doing something completely different and putting women back in charge and hugely successful as a consequence. And obviously Whitney Wolf just kind of hit the NASDAQ and very impressive. Do you know, do you know her story of why she started Bumble? No, I don't think I do know her story. No, it's just great. And it ties in perfectly with what we're talking about. So she used to work at, and I want to say like either Match.com or Plenty of Fish or one of the other ones. And something happened with one of her bosses. And don't quote me on any of this, anyone who's listening. But (laughs) read her story. You know, she was quite young. She was working there and she was sexually harassed. And so, and she couldn't, I think it was like someone in a very leadership role who had a lot of power over her. And so she said, screw this. And she went out and became her own entity and you're right and now she's hugely successful well so often these female-run brands and founded brands do come from a a personal experience so we talk a lot about female-made brands and how their experiences often within their categories have led them to develop newer and better ways of talking to women we talk a lot about the need for masculinity to move on and that it's very difficult for femininity or femaleness or female marketing to move unless the masculine can do the same and that if you look at marketing that targets men which which is most often sort of, I guess it comes out of all the old typically sort of macho masculine paradigms that have been there for years. It's about being powerful. It's about being Mm -hmm. strong. It's about being separate from people. It's about not having feelings or emotions. It's about being in charge. It's about better, faster, stronger. You know, there is a sort of very narrow and limited palette of communication styles and approaches which target men too. And of course, the more that marketing cements those ideas of masculinity, the harder it is for femininity or femaleness to move and to broaden and to be more diverse. It continues in that sort of binary way, which is pretty unhelpful for men, but particularly unhelpful for women. Mm -hmm. 
I think, and I can only speak for myself, I guess, you know, when I get dressed in the morning and I put makeup on and I put on a nice dress, I do it for myself. You know, you yeah. talked about that earlier about the branding as far as before women, like you said, to feel more accepted by men or by other people, they would want to look their best for them. Whereas now I like what you said about it's doing it for me because when I go shopping or I do my hair and my makeup, it's for myself to make myself feel better. Yeah, that's, it's so true, Jodie. I mean, and when we talk to women, you know, it's not that they're saying we reject the idea of makeup. We reject the idea of fashion and clothing. In fact, it's a creative process and it's something that women really enjoy doing. And there's a lot of play value in it. But why does it have to be so fraught? You know, if you look at advertising or marketing around fashion and around beauty, you would think it's the most serious subject in the world and that it's a subject that women agonize over. You know, look at my crow's feet. Oh my God, I've got a gray hair. This isn't the way women feel about the way that they look. Or if they do, it's only because marketing is telling them that that's how they should feel. And in fact, what, as you say, what women enjoy doing is getting out their makeup and it is about play and it is about self-expression and it's about creating creativity and there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing harmful or diminishing about that right and what about touching on the femininity aspect of it too do you think women can still be feminine and express their femininity whether it's through flowery clothing or whatever and still be strong and powerful do you have to be a woman pretending to be a man in a man's world to be successful or can you just be a feminine woman and wear high heels and still be empowered and strong and successful well exactly i mean i think the biggest problem with this sort of lean in model and this idea that it's about being powerful and strong which are really sort of masculine words, I guess, you know, or traditionally very masculine words, is that quite often most of the stuff that gets labeled as fempowering is really about saying to women, be more like men. What it's not saying is all kinds of ways of being are valid and have something to contribute and matter and are important. And you can choose from that whole palette, which you want to be, whether you're a man or a woman. The problem is that the default, again, as we talked about right at the top of the conversation, the default is the masculine. Mm -hmm. That's what's important. That's what matters. That's what's serious. That's what counts. And therefore, if you want to be taken seriously and you want to be important, you need to mirror all of that sort of classic sort of masculine way of being. And so, yes, women can be feminine. Of course they can. And so can men wear flowery dresses if they want you to. And that's okay. (laughs) I was going to say, and and it goes the other way around too, right? Whereas if you want to do that, that shouldn't reflect who you are and how you're changed or what your skills are or whatever. And why should men be limited? And in fact, their palette is even more limited, isn't it? You know, because the sort of inherent in the notions of masculinity are unchangingness, being sure, being rock steady, never changing your mind, be knowing exactly what you're doing all the time. It's very difficult for men to be able to change, you know, and there's got to be some loosening of those ropes. What do you think brands need to do to change that? There are a number of things. I mean, I think the first thing we would say is look at those brands that women have invented and see what they're doing and see that you can have huge success by showing women as they are, not as you want them to be. When we did research, you know, quite often people would say, I don't want to see all these models in advertising. And clients would say, but they always say that as if always saying it was a good reason not to listen. You know, it was very, very perverse sort of response to women saying things. But it was inconvenient to believe that because they had lots of evidence that suggested what had worked, but they hadn't tried 
the alternative. So we would say, listen very carefully to women and really listen. Don't just ask questions which are, would you like uh, product A with this type of jargon in it or product B with that kind of jargon in it? Why not ask, do you want any products with jargon in it or would you like something else altogether? So ask the questions differently, kind of properly listen to women there's lots to be learned from looking at what's happening in culture more broadly and what it is that women are watching. So they're watching working moms and motherland. They're not watching programs which set out the kind of perfect mom ideal and younger women are watching moxie they're not watching films which are setting them out to be these sort of perfect little good girls so taking inspiration from culture more generally we think is important that's very powerful and i think you're right on the money i think it has to be done otherwise how are brands going to stay relevant right because women ultimately are becoming more and more the consumers and probably when you think about it women probably were consumers all along but now they're having more of a voice versus being told what to do now they're sort of making their choice and saying okay well we want to align ourselves with this brand i mean we talk a lot about branding and about connecting with your audience people want to buy and do business and connect with brands that align with their beliefs so if a brand is not going to give you the opportunity to feel strong and empowered then you're not going to align yourself with them and ultimately buy your products from them right so i think brands need to step up more so i i see it happening i mean i definitely see it in advertising i see it on social media but i agree with you i think now more than ever there's been such a shift that's why your book really appealed to me because i think there's going to be a lot more changes coming would you agree with that Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it feels like there is a genuine sort of tipping point in play now. And I think COVID, even though it has been terrible for a lot of women in terms of the impact on their jobs and their lifestyles and, you know, having to suddenly take on lots of responsibilities back in the domestic space that they hadn't had to for years. But it's demonstrated that actually the roots are very shallow in terms of progress. And I think women are feeling quite angry about that, you know, and they're properly sort of certainly in the research that we do angry about the fact that so little has been done on their behalf to ensure that they can contribute in the way that they want to. Now that the sort of genie is out of the bottle and social media has allowed that genie to get out of the bottle, there's no putting it back in really. So brands are going to have to respond. And the brands that we talked about, those female-made brands, have an indirect impact as well. It's not just the direct impact on sales in the market. The indirect impact is that they make those other brands look really old-fashioned. So you have brands like Third Love coming into the market, you know, and saying, look, it's all about comfort and we're going to have half cup sizes. Why do you have to have only full cup sizes? That's ridiculous because women's breasts aren't like that. And then, you know, Victoria's Secret is in massive sort of free fall because it's so, I mean, disastrously sort of male lens and so out of step with where women are. And then obviously doing this sort of pretend empowerment thing now sort of at the last minute while at the same time selling all that sort of scratchy nylon sort of soft pornography <laughs> not stuff. Not a big fan of Victoria's Secret, are you? <laughs> no. And then, I mean, I guess that you know, there's a mark for Victoria's Secret, but at the end wrong. of the day. You know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with lingerie. Again, it's bad. No, no. sexy and you want to wear it for yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, Victoria's Secret, if you think about that catwalk model or that catwalk show, it is the most brilliant encapsulation of the good girl narrative. All these women prior to the show, making themselves thinner, their bodies harder, trying to look more and more beautiful. They get to the show, they're trotting up and down in the lingerie, looking fabulous. And then the best, and they're called angels, good girls. I mean, could there be well, any the girl than that? They've got wings. And then what happens at the end of the show? The best angel gets to wear 
the wedding lingerie. You know, I mean, it couldn't be more, it couldn't be more sort of explicit what it's doing, but women are rejecting it. You know, they're rejecting it because of that. It's just out of date. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I know you have to go, but I have one more thing I want to talk to you about because this is so interesting. I love talking about this is how do you feel about the filters and lenses that are now all over social media? Because I think there's a difference between putting on makeup and doing your hair, getting ready in the morning, but now you're not even seeing real people on social media because of all the filters that people are doing to make themselves, you know, it's the modern day Photoshop where everybody's doing it. I know. I know what your take is on that. Well, I think it's really quite frightening, particularly for very young girls and women, kind of 10, 11, 12 year olds altering their appearance. You know, really high proportion of young girls are altering their appearance because they don't feel that the way that they actually look is good enough. Because Um, of what they see on social media. Because of what they see on social media. Yeah. A horrible sort of vicious circle where what they're seeing is some sort of perfection, then they feel that they've got to look like that. But that perfection they're looking at is hugely sort of photoshopped. And so while TV and print advertising has changed in those regulated spaces, they have to say where they photoshopped. That isn't the case on social media and it's got to be regulated because it's profoundly harmful because those young girls are looking at that stuff and consuming that stuff day in, day out, hour after hour after hour. Yeah. And it's an altered reality. These people don't exist that they're seeing. Yeah. So when they look in the mirror and they see themselves as they are, they think they're ugly, you know, and they're not. They just look like people. It's really something. I mean, now I think everything you see on Instagram or most everything you see on Instagram and then TikTok as well. This is such an interesting topic. Jane, if people want to learn more about you and about what you're doing and about brand splaining, I'm assuming you're on social media. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? We are. We're on Instagram. We're not on Twitter because it's not the best place to be if you're us. But we're on Instagram at PLH Research. And, you know, we have a website, which is plhresearch.com. So you can go on there. And so either of those places are good places to find us. And I'm on LinkedIn. Okay, great. And just quickly, we didn't touch on this, but so PLH is the company that you started. So can you just tell us what that's about? Well, PLH stands for Pretty Little Head. Because our first book was called Inside Her Pretty Little Head, which was a sort of heavily ironic title, which is about understanding what goes on when women are buying things, basically. And so we we actually shortened it down to PLH, partly because it's hugely inconvenient having websites or having email addresses with prettylittlehead.uk, but also because some people don't get the irony, think that we're, we're being sort of disparaging in some way, which, which of course we weren't, that right. certainly wasn't the intention. So... Yep, that's what that's about. We often work with brands which are targeting men and want to target women and want to understand how to do it without turning men off. And then we have brands who feel like they're maybe a little outmoded, they're a bit out of date, they've been doing stuff in a very traditional way. They want to understand how to update what it is that they do. So we do consultancy projects around that kind of thing too. Oh, interesting. And do you work with brands all over the world or are you specific to the UK? Where's your We market? do. Most of our work is with the UK and the US, but a lot of those brands or our clients are, but a lot of those brands, you know, will sell products in other countries too. Australia, and we've done quite a bit of work in France. Oh, good yeah, thank you. Well, we're living yeah. in a world right now where, right, the digital world that we're living in. Look at you and I are talking and we're I know. And it's it's like, amazing. And you know what? I have listeners all over. It's been great. It's growing. I have listeners in the UK, Australia, all the places you just said, Canada, the US. So, 
Yeah. I oh, know. Well, congratulations. Your podcast is such a great success. I'm oh, really well, enjoying it. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's been so exciting and I'm excited for what's to come. So and yeah. I'm very, very thrilled that you agreed to be a guest of mine. So thank you so oh, much. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Jody. Okay. Bye. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. But most of all, I hope you had some fun. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about me and what I do to help my clients with their branding, feel free to reach out to me on any of the social channels under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson, also me. So thanks again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there.